There we go. I know we've got the threat of some bad weather. It may have kept some folks away tonight, but we are glad you're here. And uh, we mean that when we say it. If you're are visiting with us tonight, uh, it's an honor to have you. We hope that uh, you'll want to come back and be with us anytime you have an opportunity. We have our Sunday worship service <clears throat> at 930. We'll have Bible classes for all ages at 5, and it would be uh, great to have you come back and be a part of that with us. I hope tonight that uh, you've gotten a bulletin. The bulletin has an update on a lot of the sick, so please uh, take advantage of that. Uh, announcements that we want to emphasize is that uh, Lads to Leaders, several activities are going on uh, this Sunday. Uh, in addition to what you're going to find in the bulletin, Scrapbook is going to meet this Sunday from 2 until 4, so please take note of that. Also, the convention fee deposits are due now and uh, need to be paid by this Sunday, if at all possible. I do want to remind everybody uh, about the two different classes tonight. If you are one that has been attending the class and the TAC about the distinctive nature of the New Testament church with Brother Ken Forrest teaching, that class is moving downstairs to the conference room. So uh, don't go to the TAC, uh, go to the conference room tonight. Uh, for that class. Uh, we want to express our deepest sympathy to Larry Lauderdale and the death of his brother-in-law, John Thompson of New Albany. Also, we are sad to pass along the news that our sister Kim Fowler's father, Bill Jones, uh, passed away uh, earlier this afternoon. Uh, those funeral arrangements are incomplete. I do know that the visitation and the service will take place at the Strickland Church of Christ. So we'll try to get that out to you uh, when we can. So let's remember those that have lost loved ones in our prayer. Uh, also, there's a new ladies class that's going to be taking place once a month. And uh, the first meeting is coming up on Thursday, February the 23rd at 6.30 p.m. at the Forest Home. And the class is gonna meet at 6.30 sharp and last for about an hour. So. All ladies are invited to participate in this study. It's called Loving Your Husband by Patsy Loden. And so uh, if you've got uh, some more questions about that, you can see Anita Forrest. Tomorrow is our food pantry and clothes closet from 9 until 1030. Again, we appreciate all those that give of their time so generously. And if you would like to see what happens uh, tomorrow, We'd love for you to come out and be a part of that as well. And again, I want to remind you that the food pantry item this week is cooking oil. That's all the announcements that I have tonight uh, for our devotional. Uh, Brother Jim Estes is going to be leading us in our singing. And uh, Levi Sweeney uh, will dismiss us in prayer. Mark, please, number 902. That will be our invitation song. Now turn to number 450. Number 450.
preacher made a visit to a family and he was trying to persuade the father in that family to become a Christian and obey the gospel. He was concerned about the man's salvation. And the preacher did the best that he could to plead with this man about the importance of coming to Christ and what it would mean. Well, the next Lord's Day came and the invitation was given and the invitation hymn was sung and this particular man came down the aisle. He simply said, preacher, I want to get right with God. And he confessed his faith in Christ. He was buried with the Lord in baptism. And after this service was over, the preacher uh, and the man were talking. And he told the preacher what made him realize the importance of obeying Jesus Christ by being baptized. He said, preacher, right after you left my home the other evening, my little boy, he climbed up in my lap and he said that he had heard what you were talking to me about. And then he reached out his little chubby arms and he hugged me real tight. He put his mouth up to my ear and he whispered, daddy, we don't want to be a Christian, do we? The man said, I went upstairs that night to my bed and I said, oh God, I never realized the example that I was setting for my son. I want to get right with God. I want to be right with him so that I can help my family go to heaven. You know, it's important for us to think about our influence. The Bible says no man lives to himself. No man dies to himself. We all have influence. And, you know, what is your influence saying to the members of your family, to those that you work with, to your neighbors? Are you showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, as Paul told Titus? Maybe tonight you're one that needs to obey the gospel. Maybe you tonight need to make that good confession and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Or maybe tonight you need to make your life right. Maybe you've not been following in the paths of righteousness as you should. And you may want to come tonight and acknowledge wrong in your life and repent of it and ask God to forgive you in prayer. Tonight, if you're subject to heaven's invitation, we do ask that you come now while we stand and sing.
part number 1014. We'll sing that after the prayer. Bow with me, please. Dear Almighty Father in heaven above, Lord, thank you for letting us have another beautiful day on this earth you created, Lord, and thank you for all the many blessings you give us and everything you've done for us and do for us, Lord, and just please be with all those who have lost loved ones, Lord, just please be with them and comfort them in their time of need, and please be with the sick and anyone else who just needs you right now, Lord, just please be with them, and just thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for the remission of our sins. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Teachers may go to class as we sing, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, can tell tonight I am not Adam Carlson. He is out of town and he's asked me to fill in for him tonight and I'm always happy to do so. And uh, I'm glad to be able to stand before you tonight. Uh, Adam's a, an excellent teacher. We appreciate the fact that the Carlsons are here and they use their talents and their abilities uh, in the service of God here at this place and especially what they do at Pinevale. You know, it's just an amazing thing to be able to have the patience to, to handle what they handle and deal with what they deal with. And they seem to love it and they do it with grace and so forth. And we appreciate them very much. I want to begin tonight by saying, you know, Fred, Fred was near death. And as his condition deteriorated, uh, he motioned frantically for something to write on. Preacher happened to be there and the preacher handed him a pen and a piece of paper, and Fred used his last bit of energy to scribble a note because he just couldn't communicate. But then Fred just died. In the commotion of all this, the preacher put the unread note in his coat pocket, and uh, as he was giving the eulogy a couple of days later at Fred's funeral, he realized, you know, I'm wearing the same coat I was wearing, you know, when Fred passed away. And he said, you know, Fred, 
uh, handed me a note right before he died, and I haven't even looked at it yet, but I'm sure there's a word of inspiration for us all. And he opened the note, and he read aloud, you're standing on my oxygen tube. So anyhow, uh, judging people, that's what we're going to talk about tonight is judging one another. I want to do it based upon uh, Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I wanted to go into a little more detail about uh, that. I know y'all talked about that some last week, but I'm going to deal with that just in a little bit more detail. And I hope that what we talk about tonight can motivate us to esteem our brethren even higher in love. But before we get involved in that, I want us to begin with prayer. Will you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for all you do for us. Uh, We know that you love us so much and care for us. You've demonstrated that love by all the physical and material blessings that you provide each day. And most of all, your love is seen in the giving of your Son who came and died on the cross for our sins. We're thankful for that sacrifice and for what it means to our lives. Father, we pray for all those that we know that are sick. There are so many, Father, that we know that are experiencing physical uh, and mental difficulties of various kinds. And Father, we pray that you would be with each one of them. We also pray, Father, for those who have lost loved ones. We think about uh, Larry Lauderdale and his family. We think about Sister Kim Fowler. And uh, Joan Jones, as they've lost their loved one, and there are others, Father, that continue to grieve over the loss of, of loved ones. And we pray that you would comfort and strengthen each one of them. Father, continue to bless the church here. We're thankful for our leaders, and we pray your continued blessings upon the well-being of this church. May we continue to be a shining light in this community. Please help us tonight in our Bible study to apply what we learn to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. All right, I think all of us need to strive to grow in our love one for another. And I want us to look at a lesson that is based upon Romans chapter 2 and verse 1, where the Bible deals with the sin of judging your brother. And I believe that if we can just begin to realize the error and the wrongness when we judge harshly our own brethren, then that's going to make us more inclined to love each other more than we ever have in days past and gone. Now, if you look at Romans chapter two in verse one, Paul there said, therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever you are that judges, for wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge do the same things. Now you look back at Romans chapter 1 and we know that Paul had pointed out, first of all, all the great sins of that Gentile world. He also pointed out in chapter 2 that it's not just the Gentiles, but all Jews are under sin. They are involved in willful disobedience as well. But you know, those Jews were so full of pride and they were so quick to just look down their noses at the Gentiles and condemn them as being unworthy of salvation, especially. You know, it's said that a Jewish man would pray, God, 
I thank you that you didn't make me a Samaritan, a, gent a slave, or a woman. Now, again, you know, Christianity's elevated the status of women through the years. But, you know, Gentiles were looked upon by the Jewish people as second-rate citizens. Now, Paul told these Gentiles that they were without excuse for their sins. But he also told the Jews that they also were in disobedience to God, and therefore they had no right whatsoever to condemn the Gentiles as being unworthy. And yet sometimes, if we're not careful, we ourselves become so quick to condemn, we're so quick to judge as unworthy, maybe someone in the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When the truth may be that we're guilty of the same or maybe an equal or even greater sin in God's eyes. Now, if you look down at verse 3 of Romans chapter 2, he said, And think thou this, O man, that judgest them that do such things, and you do the same, that you're going to escape the judgment of God? You know, here he's talking about the harsh, critical judgment that we sometimes can have toward our brethren. You know, men have always, I believe, had the tendency to judge other people. It just seems like that's always been the case. You'll recall the Jews back in the days of our Lord. You know, they continued to look down upon the publicans, the tax collectors, as a group of people in general. The Jews thought all tax collectors were just bad because, you know, they worked for the Roman government. But our Lord didn't follow that particular line of thinking. In Luke 5 and verse 27, Jesus saw Matthew, a publican, a tax collector, sitting at the receipt of customs. And Jesus said to that tax collector, you follow me. And the Bible says about Matthew that he arose he left all and he followed Jesus. So evidently, here's one tax collector, uh, one publican that was good. The Lord saw the good in him. But you know, the Jews, they just looked down upon the publicans. They couldn't stand them. And the Samaritans were also those whom the Jewish people looked down upon with disdain. You know, just because a person was some, a Samaritan, that just automatically meant that that person was no good at all. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They would even go miles around to avoid going through the country of Samaria. And we read in Acts 8 and verse 12 about the Samaritans, this is after the church was established, that when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, that they were baptized both men and women. Now that's referring to the Samaritans. And so here were people, the Samaritans, that heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and they were willing to obey the gospel. Or I think about that first church in Jerusalem and how you know, they looked down with great disdain upon the Gentiles in general. Acts chapter 10 tells us the story about how Peter went down to a Gentile. He went to the household of Cornelius. And there Peter preached to this man and his household. 
And these folks were converted. These folks obeyed the gospel. We call them the first Gentile converts. And of course, when Peter came back to Jerusalem, the Bible says that when he got back, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. I can just imagine those Jewish leaders in the church just jumping down Peter's throat. The very idea to even think about going down to a Gentile and into his own house, maybe eating with him and teaching him the gospel and allowing them to obey the gospel by being baptized. They said to Peter, you went into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. Now, we ought to realize that that was one of the worst things that a Jew could ever do, to go into the home of a Gentile and eat. And yet, Peter went on to explain what had happened. He explained how all this took place. He explained the vision that he had when he saw all matter of unclean animals. And Peter learned the lesson that, you know, you ought not call any man common or unclean. And the Jewish people realize now that because of the act of God, a miracle that the Gentiles were now worthy to receive the gospel. But the point I'm trying to make here is that these Jewish brethren had such a harsh attitude, condemning attitude toward those who were Gentiles. You know, I realize it's human nature for us to naturally see the faults in people before we see the good. Isn't that right? Well, what do we see on the news all the time? Bad, bad stuff going on, right? Uh, you watch the news 24 hours a day, you'll go crazy, right? Uh, social media is right here with us. We know things right when they happen. And uh, we hear it instantly. And it's all negative. It's all bad. Now, occasionally... They'll have a, a segment, right, where they talk about something good that somebody did. Maybe they, they'll save, somebody will save a person's life like that 17-year-old, you know, up in somewhere up north. Uh, a vehicle went into the ice as the person was ice fishing, and 17-year-old jumped into the water and saved the man and his dog, you know. And I saw on the news where they interviewed the young man. It was a good story, right? But... That's not generally what we're fed on the news, are we? It's negativism, corruption, and so forth. And uh, that's how uh, we see people sometimes. And usually the bad things and the bad points in people is what's emphasized. You know, if you see a wall that's, let's say, pure white, what are you going to notice first? A little mark on the wall somewhere, right? Just a little spot somewhere is going to show right up. You know, if you've got a beautiful automobile... Gets a little dent in it, maybe a rock hit it or something. That's what you're going to notice right off the bat, aren't you? Uh, something like that. And oftentimes, I'm afraid it's just our human nature, if we're not careful, to overlook the good in each of us as brethren. All of us have good in us, and we ought to try to see the good in each other as brethren. Now, what I want to do tonight is I want to ask the question, first of all, how can we do wrong and how do we do wrong in judging each other as brethren? Now, in the closing part of our lesson tonight, I want to point out the fact that it is right to judge one another. 
And we're going to talk about what the Bible says about that. You know, you hear people say all the time, who are you to judge me? Well, the Bible specifically says in more than one place that we are to judge one another. Well, we're going to get to that. Yep. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. But first of all, we're going to talk about some wrong ways that we can judge our brethren. And what I'm talking about here is the harsh, critical judgment that we oftentimes pass upon our brethren. When we begin to try to surmise somebody's motives, and we think we understand, you know, why somebody did something. You know, for example, if you make the statement, somebody hasn't quit drinking, well, you're not judging, that's a fact. If you start saying that person doesn't even want to stop drinking, he's not even trying to stop drinking, then you're judging, right? You're judging his particular motive. And that's just kind of an example of where we're going. You know, the hurtful and cutting remarks that we may say or be heard to say uh, regarding someone in the church of our Lord and Savior. And the Bible tells us that we ought not to uh, be judging in that particular way. Now, I want to suggest, first of all, that it's wrong for us to judge when we accuse our brother of something that, you know, it's really not known to be true. You know, somebody's automobile catches on fire and burns up on the highway. There are people that will say, that person just, he burned his car up on purpose to collect the insurance. And we don't know that, do we? But here people go and they'll say, well, you know, he just burned up his own car to collect the insurance. And that kind of judgment, we ought never to be guilty of passing on anybody. And if every one of us would be truthful with ourselves, we probably could go back and see examples in our own lives about our own brethren where we've done that. I love what the Bible says in Proverbs 15 and verse 28. The Bible says the heart, by the way, we've got PowerPoint. We do, don't we? Good. Okay. The Bible says uh, the heart of the righteous studies to answer. In other words, the righteous person looks at the facts, and he only speaks based upon the facts. Then it goes on to say, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. He tries to just find things that are wrong in the lives of somebody else. It's being nitpicky. We see that in politics all the time, don't we? You know, there's all kinds of ads about, you know, politicians' opponents that are just flat-out lies, and people understand that. You know, we, they say things about their opponent that just simply are not true, right? But the Bible says the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. He talks about the negative things, the evil things. That's why James said in James 4 and verse 11, don't speak evil one of another brethren. We ought never to be guilty of that. I think another way that we might judge which is wrong is when we draw uh, conclusions from simply a set of circumstances. And I think that could be done in many ways. Suppose, for example, and right after, you know, we had our invitation tonight and people were going to their classes, suppose one of our elders was seen in his automobile just tearing out of the parking lot and leaving and going 
going down the road, and uh, somebody may see him leave and says, can you believe that, elder? He claims to be a leader in the church, and he's not even going to stay for Bible class. I saw him leave just right before it started. You know, that person may not know that made that judgment that maybe his wife is sick in the back seat. Uh, the person might not have realized that. Uh, there's just no point in our judging anybody else just on the basis of external circumstances when they simply do not know all the facts that are involved. It's easy for us to criticize somebody just based upon the circumstances of the facts if we're not careful. That's why we need to always try to think the best of our brethren. We need to think the best of everybody until we know that it's to the contrary. I love Proverbs chapter 16, verse 27. It's a very, very excellent passage. An ungodly man digs up evil, and in his lips there is a burning fire. An ungodly man, he digs up evil. You know, I always, when I read that verse, picture a murderer trying to bury the body of his victim somewhere. You know, he's, he's trying to put it in the ground. And here's, a, here's an evil man, an ungodly man that's trying to continue. I mean, he'll dig as deep as he needs to to find some dirt on you somewhere, right? And the Bible also says that in his lips there is as a burning fire. Now, that's a very interesting phrase right there, burning fire, his lips, because what does James compare our tongues to? A fire. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. Now, we know out west, I know where Jody's folks live, they have been threatened from time to time with fire. It only takes one just one little spark, right? One lightning strike or a little spark from something, and that can start a fire that gets out of control. It will destroy acres and acres of land and houses. And the Bible says the tongue is just like that. It's just as powerful. It's just as deadly. It's just as destructive. You know, uh, you take a, a feathered pillow and you take a knife to it and cut it open and let all those feathers, you know, fly everywhere. Uh, can you get those feathers back? Probably not. It's the same thing with our words sometimes, you know. Sometimes we just let our words fly and maybe we realize we've been wrong, but there's no way to really take back what we may have said. And so ungodly men have fire in their mouth. Uh, they're trying to consume. They're trying to devour. They're trying to damage other people by, you know, just being critical finding fault uh, with other people uh, in some way. And that's something that we need to avoid. I think another way that we can sin and do wrong in judging our brethren is when we try to make one sin to be worse or greater than another sin. You know, some people have the attitude, well, you know, my sins are small, but boy, your sins are doozies, you know. You're a big old sinner. I may mess up every now and then, but I don't mess up like you do. Now, the Bible catalogs a lot of sins that are wrong, a lot of sins that will keep a person out of heaven. Uh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, y'all are familiar with that? I'll just carefully uh, look over it quick. 
the lust, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication or sexual immorality, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, simulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenings, revelings, and such like of which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, they who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I think if we would stop and be truthful with ourselves, we probably would think that a lot of these sins here in this list are worse than other sins. And it might be that we would just come unglued and condemn somebody for adultery when we in our lives have an attitude inside that's just rotten in the sight of God. You know, we might really condemn somebody for drunkenness when we ourselves might be constantly guilty of criticizing and finding fault in the lives of our brethren. You know, which would be really worse when we're all the time having an attitude of condemning and being negative and criticizing somebody else, being contentious and quarrelsome, you know, these things are also listed right here in this particular passage. We just need to understand that all sins are seen in God's sight. And even the attitude of envy is a sin. How do you know somebody's envious? Sometimes you don't, do you? The Bible does describe envy as being like a cancer, right? Rottenness in the bones, you know? Probably it will be seen in some way, but generally that's something you can kind of keep to yourself. How many times have you uh, seen somebody respond to the invitation and confess the sin of covetousness? Anybody ever heard of anybody doing that? I have never. Maybe they have, but probably not. Bible says covetousness is idolatry. Right? And so, you know, we, we think really bad about those Canaanites and all those ites of people lived, that lived before Israel conquered the land and the idols they worshipped, you know. But being covetous is just as bad in God's eyes. And so we need to realize that all these things are sin in God's sight. And even the attitude of envy is a sin. The attitude of unforgiveness, holding a grudge is a sin. And these things that, you know, oftentimes are on the inside are just as condemning to us as children of God as these outward overt sins that the text in Galatians 5 mentions as well. And so we ought not to always be judging about our brethren uh, about the things that they do. But I think, first of all, if we know that somebody's sin, instead of going and talking about them to somebody and criticizing them, I think we ought to have the courage to go and talk to them about these sins. We ought to go and, and very kindly encourage them to stop those sins. And at the same time, you know, we don't sit back and, you know, act like there's no sin in our lives. The Bible talks about how we need to restore such an one. If somebody's overtaken in a fault, right, or a sin, we go to them to restore them, to bring them back. How do we do that? All right, in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. See, I, I don't need to go in with a holier-than-thou type of attitude. I need to approach somebody not as if I'm perfect, not as if I, I don't ever do anything wrong. 
you know, and I'm kind of looking down my nose at you because of your sins and, you know, you're such a sorry person and I'm holy and righteous. You know, the Bible says we go in a spirit of gentleness. You know, we, we practice the golden rule and we approach that person in a meek and humble way and we tell them that we're concerned about them. And so we need to realize the sins we have, you know, whether they're private or public, they're still sins. And I think if we'll spend time working on our own lives, then we're not going to have the time to go out and just harshly ridicule and condemn our brethren for something that they've done. Now, as I said, we can judge our brother. We're going to talk about that. Let me see what time it is in just a little bit. I want to suggest now, though, some results that take place when we do judge our brethren. You know, what exactly takes place when we judge our brethren in the wrong way? I think we need all to think about this as you think about Romans chapter 2, 1 through 3. We need to realize that we're going to be judged in the same manner in which we judge others. If you are a harsh, condemning person toward other people, you heard the old saying, what goes around comes around, right? That's true, isn't it? You know, people may judge you the same way. People are going to try to do you the same way that you've done others. And that's kind of a sobering thought to realize that the same attitude that I use to judge somebody else, that, you know, I'm going to be judged in that way someday. Uh, I think we ought to let what our Lord said soak in in Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. We're familiar with those words. You can quote them probably. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you use or meet, it shall be measured unto you again. And so it's just a fact, you know, just like gravity. You're harsh and critical toward other people. They're probably going to come back at you in the same way, particularly if they don't have Christian values. And we ought to think about that the next time we're prone to have a harsh and critical and condemning attitude toward our brethren. Let's realize that that's exactly the same kind of attitude, you know, even when we stand before the Lord on that final day. Particularly, it's going to happen with other people. If we could realize that we're going to be judged in the same way and by the same attitude in which we judge other people, if we think about that, maybe we'll be a lot more kind and loving in our judgments of other people. Uh, Romans chapter uh, 14 in verse 4, uh, on down there in the book, it says, Who are you that judges another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falleth. He shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. And so we need to think about the fact that, you know, I've got to be very careful about my attitude toward others because it's going to come back to bite me if I'm not. Now, let's think about some circumstances that usually accompany this kind of harsh judgment. You know, there are almost always some particular circumstances that will coincide in the lives of people when they have an attitude and are always harshly and critically and judging other people in a condemning way. Usually, and I think you'll see this true, the one that judges another person like this is almost always guilty of the same kind of sin, right? 
or even a greater sin in God's eyes. I think we can see that to be true sometimes. How many times have we seen somebody really be harsh and critical in their judgment of others and we find out, man, they're guilty of something even worse than that in the eyes of the world? You know, even though the Jews themselves had the law of God, even though the Jews were God's chosen people, you know, Paul let them know that they're guilty just in the same way that the Gentiles are. And I can't help but believe that when you see people who are critical and they're harshly condemning of other folks, that you're probably going to see the same kind of sins in their own lives. And that's something we need to think about. And so when brethren accuse others in a very harsh way, that person's usually guilty of a similar type of sin. You know, like in John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11, you recall that the Bible says a woman was caught in adultery in the very act and was brought to the Lord by the scribes and the Pharisees. What are they trying to do to the Lord? Going to set him up, right? They're trying to pin him down. They're trying to put him in a no-win situation. You know, it looks bad, doesn't it? Either he's going to condone what the woman did or else, you know, he's going to... Uh, give allegiance to the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, these Pharisees, they came in there with that woman so self-righteous. They said this woman was taken in the act of adultery, in the very act. And in the first place, these scribes and Pharisees violated the law, their own law. Why? They're supposed to bring the man with them, right? They're supposed to bring the man and the woman, not just the woman. And uh, I have no doubt at all that she was caught in the very act uh, and you could uh, speculate on the situations by which this took place, but, you know, they were going to try to really trap the Lord here. And uh, they said, Moses said such an one should be stoned. What do you say? Are you going to go against Moses, Jesus? Are you going to go against Moses? Uh, well, Jesus was silent and continued to right on the ground. And finally he said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. The Bible says they went out from the eldest even to the last and the woman was left there alone with the Lord. Now, Jesus didn't condone her sin, did he? You know, he wasn't going to let her get away with her sin. He didn't condone her adultery, because he said to her, you go and you sin no more. But the point I think the Lord's making here is that, you know, even though she was called in the act of adultery, she probably was a lot better off than those people that brought her there with their self-righteous and haughty and prideful attitude. And uh, that's what we need to think about. And so we in the future, me included, we ought to be careful about the harsh, critical, condemning attitude that, that we might have toward other people. Uh, because when that's done, that indicates the same kind of spirit in our own lives. I was trying to see how much time I've got. About, we've got about 15 minutes, don't we? Now, uh, just why should we not judge our brethren? Why should we not harshly condemn our brethren? Let's, let's think about this. First of all, God is the judge, isn't he? God is the one that's the judge. 
Look at some verses like John 5 and verse 22. The Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Now, since the Father has committed all judgment to the Son, then we need to leave that up to Him. Also, uh, Acts 17, verse 30, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And he's talking about there Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1, I charge you uh, before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Jesus is going to be the judge. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, Paul said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And so the final judge is going to be Jesus Christ. It's not going to be us. I'm not going, I can't condemn anybody to hell just as I can't send anybody to heaven. Jesus is the final judge, all right? God is going to judge us all uh, through Jesus Christ. Now, as our time is getting away from us, I do want to suggest there is a sense in which we can judge our brethren and be right in it. There's a sense in which we must judge one another uh, and to judge our brethren. Now, you brought up John chapter 7 and verse 24. The Bible says, judge not according to appearance. And we talked about that earlier, about circumstances and all. But you judge righteous judgment. Uh, we have a good example over in... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6, and you know the Bible there talks about how we are to judge among us as brethren. He said in verse 11, I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that's called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. Now, I've got to judge these people if I'm not going to eat with them for these particular reasons, right? You know, I have to judge them. But he said, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do you not judge them that are within? So, you know, Paul, what are you trying to really say here? He said, do you not judge them that are within? He said down in verse 13, but them that are without God judges, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And so Paul said here certainly that brethren have the prerogative. Brethren in the church have the right and the obligation to judge in the sense that when a man or a woman is unwilling to repent of open public sin, then that individual is to be put away from among the brethren for the purpose of saving that individual's soul. And so we have to be judging in that way. If we couldn't judge in that way, then, you know, the subject of church discipline, which is another subject altogether, would be totally irrelevant, wouldn't it? If we could never judge somebody. And so it's important for us to realize that we can judge. 
You know, the Bible says, by their fruits, you shall know them. Uh, he said in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6, your glory is not good. You know, they thought, the Corinthian brethren thought they were doing good by just burying their head in the sand and, and pretending this sin, you know, wasn't even happening, right? You know, the man had his father's wife, you know, he said, your glory is not good. You know, they took pride in the fact that they could tolerate that kind of thing. And uh, he said, know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And purging out that old leaven involves judging somebody righteously. You know, if I go and talk to somebody about a sin they've committed, I encourage that person in all earnestness to make their life right with God. In that sense, I would not be critical and harsh toward that person. I would not be trying to hurt that individual. But you know, if I go and I talk about that person to other people that have sinned, and I condemn them, and I talk about them, and I belittle them, and I criticize them, rather than going to them and trying to help them to come back to God, that's the kind of judgment that will cause a person to lose his soul. And so we can judge. I can determine whether or not somebody's obeyed the gospel or not, can I? Right? You know, uh, we can decide that. We can determine that based upon the facts. And there are other areas wherein we know the facts involved. We know what's happened in people's lives and the sin that they're involved in. And, and we can judge them in the sense that we try to bring them back to God, and yet we do that with the right attitude. You know, I just hope that a wonderful spirit of love will always prevail in the church here. I think we need to strive to love one another. The Bible talks about how love is the badge of discipleship. And, you know, as I think about the church here, here in Boonville, I really believe that brethren here love each other. I think here... By and large, that brethren genuinely care about one another. I've seen that manifested over and over again. And yet, I realize that all of us make mistakes. All of us get discouraged. And, you know, maybe sometimes we're inclined to be condemning towards somebody else. And, you know, that's kind of the reason why we want to talk about or why we wanted to talk about this tonight. And may we always esteem each other highly in love and try to see the best in each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, when we sin, when we fall short, let's go to each other as brethren. That's the most probably violated passage in the Bible. If somebody offends you, you need to go to them. And let's go to them and let's not criticize one another. Let's not let things fester. And, you know, one thing builds up on another thing. And before you know it, you know, brethren just can't stand to be around one another. It may be the case. And so let's never talk about our brethren that would be hurtful and condemning in any way. And I think if we'll try to do that and think about what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 2 and other passages, then we're going to have peace and harmony and unity in the Lord's church. Now, what I want to do for a minute, I think we've got about six or seven minutes. Has anybody got any questions? that they want to ask. Any comments you want to make? Go ahead. Marshall Kibble said one time he wasn't a judge. He was a fruit inspector. Okay. Marshall Kibble one time said he wasn't a judge. He was a, a fruit inspector. Pretty good comment. 
Anybody else? Any comments or questions or observations? I know this answer before there was five or six young men standing behind the car, behind the, on, on the trunk, and people just gathered around, and people walking down the street called the police and wanted them to go and see what they was doing. And the police came and walked up to them, and after what they were doing, they said, well, they had a problem, and they were studying the Bible to see how they could fix it. Yeah, see, you hear what he said? See, they were judging what they... Yeah, a group, of, a group of young men were on the trunk of a car somewhere. Somebody thought, that's kind of weird to call the police. Police came and what the young men were doing, we're studying the Bible right there together, you know. That's great. You know, just based upon the circumstances, it probably didn't look good. Yeah, they didn't think they could what they, they were doing that. Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody got any suggestions? other than what I may have mentioned about how we can avoid this kind of attitude sometimes that prevails? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 and 3, it's a very small thing if you judge me. Okay. Paul, about it. Paul said it's a small thing if you judge me. You know, he wasn't too worried about it, was he? Now, of course, this opens up a whole can of worms about you know, attitudes in general you know, that we need to have toward one another as brethren and how we need to bear one another's burdens as Galatians talks about. Uh, that's very, very important. And uh, when we bear one another's burdens, you know, we, we can't be harsh or critical and do that, can we? Uh, we fulfill the law of Christ when we, uh, when we look at other people and try to help them through what they're dealing with. And so, you know, all of us have burdens to bear. And if we knew what people were going through right now, it would probably shock us. There's a lot of burdens that people are bearing right now inside these walls that we haven't got a clue about. And, uh, you know, that's why we need to be other person-centered, focused on other people and their needs and wants. Any, anybody else before we, before we dismiss tonight? Got a couple of minutes. Anybody else? This one church I went to ask questions like you has anybody got something to say and this guy says well so and so did this and so and so did that he, he just lying right off the top you know so you stop blaming you somebody or something yeah well that's probably going to be that happens a lot, a lot though I mean, it can you know division in the church is sad it's very sad uh, I have never experienced that in any church I've been to. You know, my dad was a preacher all his life, and, you know, he was always a peacemaker, and there was always unity. And it's sad when there's division in the body of Christ. And, you know, one little thing between people can fester, and before you know it, it blows up. People take sides, and it's really over nothing, you know. Uh, once you allow that thing to happen and you don't get it under control, it's like that fire we talked about in James. It gets out of control. It sure does. Sure does. Uh, Doug, I'm glad we got you. Well, I'll pay your money afterwards. We're done. <laughs> All right. If nobody's got anything else, then we'll, we'll go ahead back there. I was just thinking about <clears throat> the jail ministry that me and Mom and Miss Soda. And, you know, we talk about judging people 
church with your judging people. I know I, I have a lot of people from Prince County Jail. When I do the jail ministry with them, they're, they're such kind people. When you, when, you know, when they send the courses back and they're so thankful and they talk about how they don't know the Lord and nobody's ever took the time to teach them the Lord. And, and I just find that, that people, I know they do things to get themselves in the positions that they're in, but a lot of times people judge them without stopping to think of what they grew up in or, or what exactly. their life was. And I just find so many people that are so grateful and thankful that, that maybe I'm not as... You know, judging them as I guess maybe some people have in the past. When I'm working in this like you and Marilyn and others do, you know, you see people who have turned their lives around. Whereas, you know, maybe others might not give them the time of day. You know, we think, you know, you've gotten yourself in this pickle, you're lost cause, you know, so to speak. Nobody's a lost cause. What about Paul? He was murdered when he before he became a Christian. And so uh, there's nobody that can get so low whereas they cannot recover uh, and be right with God if they obey the gospel and repent of their sins. So that's a good statement to close on. Thank you. All right, y'all are dismissed. The kids are coming in.